At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm Aram Layton. He's Jack McMullen. For those that are watching on YouTube, you'll see the very fancy hotel room backdrop. Jack and I have not done this since we did our, uh, what did you call it, like the Southern tour that we did through uh, Mississippi, through Alabama. We also did one in my house, my mom's house. Yes. Um, But for those that are listening... Maybe it just sounds a little less great than usual, but we're in a hotel room. Uh, thanks to BetMGM for putting us up here for the All-Star Weekend. We just took in the Futures game. That was a lot of fun. We're going to give kind of give our takeaways from that. And then we're going to do some final draft thoughts because even in the last couple of days, you know, we've been able to kind of consume as much information as we can, consider all things, talk to some people, and come away with our final, final, final takeaways, which, number one is, Dylan Cruz is looking less and less likely like the number one pick. I stand by what we said in terms of the prospect perspective, Yeah, but, as we know, it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the draft stuff. Um, also, I think when we were doing that down south road trip, it was like a sweet type thing. <laughs> so you didn't see the bed in the background. It's a great bed. King bed. Thanks to BetMGM again. I'm sleeping like a baby yeah. here in Seattle for the next five nights. So it's awesome, man. But yeah, I, I think what, what we are gathering as we read and as we monitor and like, you know, whoever we can, you know, chat with in Seattle, like it feels like the heartbeat of the draft right now is, hey, it's not going to be Cruz going to Pittsburgh, which is as weird as, I, like it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. Um, I know that it makes sense financially. It makes sense in the grand scheme of the draft and slot money. Like this is something that is beyond us. Yeah. You know, like, but I thought Cruz was clear in a way like the the best option for the Pirates at one one. It doesn't look like they're going to go with the best baseball option. Now, what I will say is they're going to get a really good player. Yes. And, and this is the benefit of having a loaded class where Mm -hmm. you have four or five guys that you can turn to. Now, do I think that there are tiers within that group of five? I absolutely do. I think that there is a a one, two, three, and I think that there is a four and five. And I think that those are two separate tiers. But if they take anybody in that one through three, I think Pirates fans have to be really happy. uh, And I think that you have to understand why Ben Charrington is doing what he's doing. Now, if, he does take somebody in that four or five second tier. Yeah. I'm going to start to scratch my head a little bit. Yeah, so the four or five would probably be the high school guys. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not because it's high school versus college. I think it's more that the three college guys are as 
high upside of college guys as you're going to find. So can I also say part, part of it for me actually is high school versus college. That's because fair. you think about the well, with, Pirates. With the first pick, too. With the first pick, yeah. and you think about the Pirates timeline. Like, think about what's going on here. Their prospect stable is either at the major league level or they're in triple and double yeah. right now. Like, who, who's in high A or low A? Bubba Chandler? Yeah. That's it. Solomito's yeah. in double. Chang's in double. Yeah. Andy's in triple. Like, everybody else is pretty much up already. So, yeah. in terms of aligning with the timeline, like, a college guy is ending this year in double A. And, and they still have some... And I know everyone says best player available, blah, blah, blah. But if you have the number one pick and you have a chance at a... Uh, generational talent gets thrown out too much. But, but I would say a, a, every decade... You kind of get a, a player like Dylan Cruz, I think, foolproof. in the draft. And, yeah, that foolproof kind of guy. Langford's very close to that. And I think when I was doing the the, the mock draft write-ups, I, the one thing I kind of hit on is this would never have been a conversation had Wyatt Langford not closed the gap so much this year. And, and that's props to Wyatt Langford. And the, the big thing that I think people are talking about with him is – that you know, with Dylan Cruz, the ceiling is a little bit more capped, but the floor is is way higher. Dylan Cruz, you could probably fast track him to double. He'll yep. probably mash through there. It'll probably be in triple after a couple months. He's going to be fifty fives across the board with I'd say sixty plus hit tool. That's pretty much a guaranteed above average big leaguer with all star potential. Wyatt Langford, we were talking about it. That guy could hit 40 home runs yeah. if it all works out. Dylan Cruz, there's no scenario where he hits 40 home runs. And that's that's the one side of it. So if you can get the guy with 40 home run potential and also save a million and change, I, I kind of get it. Skeens, I just would never go with the arm number one when you have these kind of bats. They're talking about Walker Jenkins as a possibility. I, I've made it very clear how much I love Walker Jenkins as a high school prospect. I think Max Clark would be... The biggest mistake, just because he's his profile is is not that of of someone I'm looking to take one one. Yeah, Jenkins, again though, like I love that player. I don't think he should be anywhere outside of the top five. Um, we have him four to the Rangers and sticking with that. But the domino effect that can happen if if Jenkins goes one is nuts. Um, ultimately, I think we're we both agree, and the mock is out right now that. It seems like the most likely is Lankford because he's that balance of you can not deal with Scott Boris for the next decade yeah. or almost decade. Yeah. And right now, you still have that higher floor as a college guy with a track record of hitting, good run times, crazy power, all that good stuff. And you still have momentous upside. So that's where it seems now. But if money wasn't a thing, agents weren't a thing, and there was nothing involved – Without a doubt, I'm going Dylan Cruz. I'm not really thinking twice about it. No, I'm not thinking twice about it for sure. I, I go Cruz, and I'm with you. Like I think Langford is probably the the second best option. And at the slot money, it might be the best option if you can go make some magic happen at the end of the first round or in the comp round, right? So. Uh, exactly. And these teams have like a big board of, of however many players that they want to that they want to take. Yeah. And you know, we're kind of looking at it just like pick by pick by pick. And if there's a player on the big board that they adore. Outside of, you know, as we're talking about like the 15 to 20 range of their big board, and they're able to get that guy now because of the savings at number one, it, that could probably be swaying them a little bit more too. Like there's high, there's so much prep talent yeah. that now maybe you go get a prep a prep arm or, you know, or you're able to go get one of those middle infielders like a Sammy Stafura, let's say, who's been just helium going upwards like this, and you can offer more than a lot of teams in the back end of the first round. 
all of a sudden now you, you might be having a really nice draft overall, which we saw them do really well in that Henry Davis draft. Different situation, yeah. but we saw them use that money really well yeah. to cook in the draft. And unfortunately, Lonnie White, you know, he just got to an affiliate. He was dealing with a ton of injuries. Mm-hmm. But Bubba Chandler, they went and they got over slot. So, um, I, like, the last thought exercise is, you know, what happened last year. In a vacuum, you grade the Rangers pick of Kumar Rocker at three in F minus. Yeah, not a good one. But in the fourth round, you grade their pick of Brock Porter as an A plus plus. Yep. Overall, the Texas Rangers had a good draft last yeah. year. Despite the number three overall pick being like a not good pick. Yeah. And I think Kumar can be good, but he's a TJ guy, you know, like it's But it's, that was the whole point really too. Like, it's like he has arm issues yeah, or yeah. exactly. So like I, I think what what the Rangers did is like they looked bad in a vacuum to look great when you assess the whole product. And I think that, you know, like as much as everybody wants to make sweeping claims about the number one overall pick because those are the guys that everybody knows. Yeah. I think we have to wait until round 20 is over to yeah. assess the Pirates draft, which is like super not it's hard fun to do. And, and it's a hard hot to do. take thing. It's yeah. hard to do because, but the point is like even the most foolproof of foolproof players, like look at Spencer Torkelson right yeah, now. Man. We would have said, oh, he's a slam dunk, blah, blah, blah. And like he's, Every time we think he's figuring we, it out, he comes back down. But we like, said in 2020, this guy can have an 800 OPS in the major leagues. Right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. False, <laughs> not true. So he's false. still trying to find that. So from that perspective, it's like, yeah, we always have these foolproof guys. But at the end of the day, it's baseball, and if you can spread your almost just like spread your risk a little bit. Every pick is risk, yeah. even if it's the smallest perceived risk, and you can spread that risk with up more upside. Yeah. I understand that approach. But again, don't miss on the first pick. And there's a lot of different ways that you can avoid missing. I don't think that there's a blatant miss with any pick. I think the biggest risk would be taking Max Clark. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the level of competition that he's playing, uh, the, the limited upside I, with his swing. You know, it's it's quick. He's he's definitely very powerful for his size. But I could see like kind of higher ground ball rates. You know, frustrating. Yeah. You know, limited of power. And and you know, I'm not gonna say like. The, the worst case could be like a Moniac situation. I think he's more talented than Mickey yeah. Moniac, who, by the way, is playing really well right now yes. for the Angels. Um, but it, it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. We just wanted to kind of do one last little rehash after the take Dylan Cruz, take Dylan Cruz, take Dylan Cruz. Yeah, but you're but also taking Scott what Boris. We're hearing. You're yeah. also taking Scott Boris. And I think we were underestimating, you know, when I was looking at it, I was like, okay, you signed the bonus and, and you're good, but also you got to deal with him now. Let's say Cruz is great and fits like a glove. Do they want to have a Brian Reynolds situation again? You know, where they're just trying to extend this guy and it's just so ugly. I know they ultimately got it done, but that was ugly as hell. Like, it was not a good situation. It was an optics nightmare, and the smaller market teams do care about optics. Um, I I think every team cares about optics, to be honest. But I think the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Mets can get away with a little bit less Mm -hmm. of that. I think the Pirates, it's all about, you know, hey, you have a talented player make sure he's a pirate for a really long yeah. time. Yeah. And that's what they're doing with Brian Reynolds. That's what they did with McCutcheon. And, you know, like you saw how important it was to bring McCutcheon back. Like optics matter to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Optics matter to uh, just smaller market teams in professional baseball. Yeah. And I think that college guy um, and Lankford is is a good optics play. Yep. It's not the play that Pirates fans probably want, but it's a really good 
good under slot yeah. option, especially if they can start cooking in the 40s and yeah. 50s in this draft. 100%. And we'll have the full draft recap pretty much the next day uh, when mm-hmm. we can to, to talk about everything that happened in that draft. I, I'm, I'm really excited, man. It's it's going to be a fun one because of the domino effect, because of all the talent throughout the, the middle of the first round and going into the back half of the first round where there's a lot of high school guys I really like, but I could understand those guys going to college. Yeah. Uh, but also, if a team can sign those guys, there's some really talented prospects like Hauk has really been impressive. Miller's really been impressive. A lot of infield talent. So should be very, very fun uh, to, to kind of break that all down and recap it. We're going to break down the Futures game yeah. real quick here because the Futures game was a blast. I would say it was a little bit more underwhelming in terms of like highlight real stuff compared to other futures games but i honestly didn't really notice that until we were leaving and a couple of our buddies were like yeah that was a flat futures game i was like yeah it was fun yeah like the pitching was fun we didn't see a nuke which understandable because we're going to talk about the pitching that came in uh we dug up some of the biggest metrics or most notable metrics from um this futures game from a velocity standpoint batted ball standpoint all that good stuff I felt like the the arms, for the most part, just seemed like a little bit more ready to go than the hitters. I don't really know how to describe it. It's always going to be advantage pitcher when you can – it was a lot of starters, obviously. Yeah. Starters with great stuff that typically struggled with command a little bit, which is a perfect scenario to success if you can just go in the first in, – in one inning spurts yes. and just throw it as hard as you can. Yes. So we saw a lot of those guys see their stuff tick up. And hitters, it was just it's just a tough ask for these guys, especially because they only get one or two at bats and then it's on to the next one. So right as you start to get comfortable, boom, you're out. So it was one of those situations where it's hard to hit, really, really hard to hit. We see it in the All-Star game all the time. Yeah. And um, even some of baseball's best position player prospects looked terrible <laughs> on some swings, which was fun from a pitching perspective. I-, I came away really impressed with a lot of the arms, which we were a little like – concerned you know, how good is the pitching going to be the National League side was a lot better than the American League side and uh, I just thought all the arms were, were really fun to watch I agree I agree and you know, like I, I probably should have pushed back in the car a little bit more as to like the claim that it was a flat futures game mm-hmm. since like speak for yourself man as mm-hmm. a pitching dork I had a fucking great time mm-hmm. it was awesome and like I, I can really appreciate the arms that stole the show because those are I are the guys that we ID'd. Yep. I, what we ID'd Tink Hens and Mizorowski. Yep. And I think Hens and Mizorowski were the two that jumped out. But you know, other guys that we were excited to watch excelled. And mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> I got up and got food during Jonathan Campbell. <laughs> so that kind of <laughs> Who thing. hit ninety seven, which who, is the funniest part. Who hit ninety seven, exactly. Yeah. Like we were talking about it. Semro Burris is is the guy that you probably like you know, channel surf for a little bit. Yeah. He was 95. Yeah. Like, so I, I can really appreciate the pitching talent that was on display mm-hmm. in this game. Um, I, I thought that there were some hitters that were just fun to watch, like kind of exist and yeah. get an in-person look. Like Chorio, that that facial hair is real, man. <laughs> like that, that's an old-looking 19. Like Junior Caminero looks <laughs> 30. Like, yeah, it's crazy. He's, he's so, a big dude. Also, the I.O., the infield outfit. I, so I did not – I totally – Forgot that they're going to do like an infield outfield situation. I mean, I haven't seen a full infield outfield since like 
high school. Pinecrest High School. Yeah, like literally since high school. <laughs> and it just, it was one, it was like refreshing to see just because these are, these guys are kids at the end of the day. Yeah. Like they're so, they're all so young and you're seeing them have fun with the IO, like hitting the ball to the outfield. They're, they're coming up throwing. You got to see some arms. Um, there was, there was some really impressive throws. You could see guys in the infield kind of toss it around a little bit. That part was cool. BP was really cool. Brady House put on a damn show. I mean, upper tank, I think, six times. Uh, and then came into the game and, and laced a single. House continues to look fantastic. Uh, it, the, the before game stuff was really fun. It was really fun to see these guys try to battle. Because for me, it was like, I'm not I'm not trying to come away with any any major, major impressions on like, oh, are you? did you hit a bomb off of a one-inning spurt of Carson Wisenhunt being able to go up to 96 with the freak change? Like, you got to battle. And it was just fun to see some of the guys how they can battle. And, and that was one of the number one things because, you know, I wasn't really – we didn't talk much about uh, about Crawford, right? And we didn't know how much we were going to pay attention to Justin Crawford there. He's probably one of the youngest guys there, one of right. the most least ex- – one of the least experienced guys there. He has a tough draw of having to go left on left against Joey Cantillo, who, by the way, we had a great conversation with Andy Rodriguez and Joey Cantillo in the hotel before the game. That'll be out this week on the call-up as well and on our YouTube but left on left with Cantillo in a one inning spurt, who was throwing, he talked about it in the interview, his like Vulcan change, a nasty breaking ball, and up to 98. Yeah. Left on left. And he battled, 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 battled. That was one of the more impressive things for me to see. Instead of just like, a, oh, you caught one out front and put up a 111. Like, that's great too. But a 19 year old with barely any professional at bats under his belt. Battling against a really good AAA arm, left on left, yep. like those are the things I'm I'm kind of there to see, like the between the margins, nuanced things that were that were fun, and I think that that's what comes with the territory of this game, and that's why it's it's really fun. That's why they should play nine innings, and that's why it shouldn't be on Peacock. Yeah, no, I, I was about to bring up Justin Crawford because we we saw a couple of guys, and Crawford I think was the one that stood out that performed beyond his level, oh, where yeah. he's a low A guy seeing double A pitching, and he held his own. So. You know, that's not saying, hey, put Justin Crawford in double A. That's saying this guy is more advanced than we were expecting mm-hmm. him to be. And, you know, it's not like that's going to shoot him from from the mid-90, you know, in the in the top 100 to, you know, the low 30s. Yeah. Like, it, he doesn't jump 60 spots because he looked good against a double-A pitcher in one of his at-bats. No. But it does make you feel really good about Justin Crawford's long-term possibilities. Yeah, and it catches your attention a little bit. You know, you, you start to watch a little bit closer and, and see what's going on and— Again, it says a lot about a guy's ability and, and just overall approach and, and how advanced he is to be able to survive in that kind of situation. And again, this is a guy with bloodlines, son of Carl Crawford, and you can kind of just see the way he was, okay, this is a tough at-bat left on left. How can I take away one part of the zone? How can I try to battle here? And, and he did that. The, the number one thing that stood out to me with Justin Crawford before we get into some of the big data points, yeah, I think he's a 70% ground ball rate in low A right now. Yeah. Both the balls he hit were in the air. One was 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 hard, hard hit at 105, yeah. right? And then another one was kind of a fought-off line drive against Cantillo. And, and Jonathan Class A made a great catch in center. Uh-huh. Here's one thing that you can come away with in one game, by the way, though, being in person. One thing that, like, we always say you, you got to have a lot of a sample size to come away with, with big-time, you know, conclusions on anything. I think jumps in the outfield 
you yeah. can get pretty quickly with just a few of them. Yeah. Class A's jumps were phenomenal. Yeah. And that's a Mariners prospect, of course. And so he got he had the fanfare there and, and all that good stuff. He has some things to work through with the plate. He's a very young player, 21 years old in Double A. But man, the jumps in the outfield, including that catch on 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 Crawford. But there was another one over the shoulder. Um, that that uh, going back to his right yeah. into the gap, I think it was a PCA liner at 106, which was also a really impressive swing yeah. on a cutter. But that was just one of those jumps where I was like, man, to get that jump off of a lefty going kind of inside out, slicing away from you, and he just goes, it was right off the bat. Like, Class A impressed me defensively in center. Like, that's the cool things that you can kind of pick up in these games, too. Yeah, 100%. And I, I saw a note on MLB.com. I, Yankeel Fernandez. Oh, uh, Yankeel Fernandez, I was very excited when he stepped into the on-deck Because, guy. like, yeah, that's becoming... I, are the Rockies my bit? Is Yankeel my bit? I can't decide because I genuinely think Yankeel is good. Yeah. I don't think the Rockies are good. Their so like, system's like weirdly I, good. I though. know, and like so, I guess the Rockies are the bit. But I genuinely am bought into Yankeel Fernandez. Yeah. So when I saw Yankeel in the on deck circle, I was like, okay, let's go. Um, and then he was in right field, and he came up firing. You know, runner didn't go first, third, but he came up like ready to showcase the arm. Like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nab this guy a third if he went. It was one of those like, let yeah. me show you throws. And after the let me show you throw, I think I turned to you and I was like, a hose. And then I saw on MLB.com it was 103.3. 103. 103 on yeah. a throw from right yeah. field. Yeah, I mean, so, that's, that's elite, elite, elite. That's, that's the hardest throw, I think, by Rockies outfielder in the StatCast era. Really, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I think, what, last year there were a couple of 100-mile-per-hour throws, 100-plus. It was like, you know, Acuna's done it this year. I know Christopher Morell did it last year in Miles Straw. I, I think Aaron Hicks, like, broke baseball with a 106. Yeah, but, like, but that's like he's, he's from a 21-year-old in double? He's like, tooled up. He's tooled up, man. So... I that is that's what I love. Outfielder jump, you know it after one or two. Yeah. Throw, <laughs> I, I knew it after one. Like I, I love that. Um the other thing that jumped out, I guess in a you know, in a bad way, like if I if I have to get negative here, um it was really cool seeing uh Marcella Meyer and Jackson Holiday share shortstop during IO for the American League. Holiday didn't look good yeah, it was, defensively. It was a small sample there, but yeah, he was uh, he was looking a little rushed he, at short. Yeah, yeah, he looked very rushed. Um, but a big stage. Um, this is another guy. This is nineteen. Yeah, I mean, he's nineteen. But yeah, there was a couple balls that like he just put himself in a bad spot, and, ate him up. And, and the like, thing is, like, I wasn't going to take anything away offensively from Jackson Holiday because again, he's a nineteen-year-old playing in the futures game, but like. Defensively, I he didn't look the most comfortable, which was interesting because no. he's looked good this year, and a lot of people came away thinking, "Okay, this kid's really good shortstop," and I think he's going to be fine overall. Yeah. But yeah, he definitely looked a little rushed out there. It was a weird one. I mean, the ball was probably coming off a little different. You know, it's coming off a little different. Guys are throwing harder. Guys are hitting harder than than most of the guys he's seeing in high A, and it just looked like it was getting on him a little bit quicker. Um, but that shows, was probably a cool. Uh, a cool learning experience for him because he, he mentioned that when I think it was in a conversation with Baseball America that he goes home and watches Ellie De La Cruz highlights, <laughs> which is so cool. Um, and, and just it just kind of shows you the, the layers to the to this game. Yeah. A couple big metrics here. Yeah. We mentioned on the podcast, I think the specific, specific prediction was Jacob Mizrowski was going to go viral with multiple disgusting pitches on Pitching Ninja. And that is exactly what happened. The Brewers prospect hit 102.3, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Um, hit 101 five times. Hit 110 times. And it, it, what makes him so elite 
and I think one of the, the better pitching prospects in baseball you'll see in our update as well, and we've been talking about him for a while, is he's 6'7". Yeah. He gets crazy extension. But to get the extension that he gets while releasing from a low vertical attack angle, it just almost breaks a hitter's brain. You're seeing the ball come from a place that you never really see it. Yeah. And then off of that, you have 92-mile-an-hour cutter, and then you have a slurvy sweeper in the mid-80s. This guy, if he can command his stuff, which he did in this in this outing, yeah. if he can command his stuff, and he has continued to get better with that, even in high A, I mean, this is this is front line, front line, front line upside, and and that's why he's a top one hundred guy. Like for me, every pitcher has inherent risk. It's the reason why I'm not taking the pitcher number one overall. Yeah. Every pitcher has more risk than a hitter. Yes. Give me the guy that has the highest ceiling imaginable, and, and I, you're hard pressed to find a minor league pitcher with a higher upside than Jacob Mizrowski. Yeah. No, I I don't think there is one, and. You know, like I'm not going to stand up and do the tutorial because I've already had like a video meme made out of that. But um, like, think about okay, Mizorowski has a very unique attack angle, right? So we're talking about where he is when the ball is coming out mm. of his hand. Think about everything that goes into how he gets to that point. Like that can fuck up a hitter too. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of limbs going everywhere. Yeah, so yeah. We, you know, obviously we always look at the metrics, and the metrics are so freaking important, but. Also, just like the delivery as a whole, you wonder why Chris Sale was so freaking good for that long. Yes, he had a funky attack angle. Yes, he was 98 with a crazy slur. But, like, shit was coming from right field, man. Yeah. And, like, he was somehow, like, bent at the elbow. And then, like, it came out of nowhere. It was like he was backspinning the yeah. ball at you. And then all of a sudden it jumps on you at 98. Mizorowski, he has so many limbs going absolutely everywhere. That's a distracting thing for a hitter. He's got a distracting, unorthodox delivery comes at you at an unorthodox attack angle, and then pumps 102 by you. Yeah. Those guys, like, I can't teach weird, man. No. I, you can't teach weird. If you combine weird and nasty, like you got you got You got special. Chris Sale. Yeah. You know, he is like a righty sale, and people throw it around too much. This is the first guy that I've really seen where it's like, that's a righty sale. That's a Chris Sale-esque guy. And and the stuff is, is better yeah. at this stage. Uh, I, I, a couple minor leaguers that I was able to talk to after facing Mizrowski, just I just wanted to know. They said, worst at bat I've ever had. Yes. Worst at bat I've ever had. Like, yes. You just got to pray, basically. Yeah, I think you got to pray he hangs a cutter yeah. or you know you can time up a fastball. You're not hitting that, that sweeper at 85. It's like a swervy sweeper. And uh, the, the, you, know what, you, know what, you know a guy has a, a fucked up arsenal? When I've been on multiple systems that all tag his pitches differently. Yeah. You'll see his, some of his cutters tagged as sliders. They're not sliders at 92. Yeah. Um, they are cutters. Uh, you'll see the sweeper tagged as like a curveball or a slurve or sometimes a it gets slide. Yeah. It, it, you'll see all these different tags. And it's just because like the system's like basically saying, we don't see this. Yeah. We don't have a bucket for this. Right. Um, and, and that, that, Pretty much, it, I, I had one of the longest conversations I've I've had in a long time with with one of my buddies who's a catcher and an analytics dork about what the hell is his arsenal, and we finally put it into like each of those buckets. But it was a whole conversation. Like it's not this because of this. It's not a slider because of the how much vertical movement it has. You know, if a pitch if a pitch has more than four inches of vertical. It's going to be more cutterish than than slider. Like just all of, we had to have a full conversation about what to label his pitches because they're all so outlier esque. Yeah. Um. I, that, it was just so fun to see him on the big stage. I think you're going to see a lot more hype around this guy. He's one of those that like 
I just needed to prove that he was real. Yeah, to oh, he's real. because you yeah. see, you see the grainy footage yeah, of like yeah. low end, the moon landing footage. Yeah, it's like, like fighting the fighting Wisconsin timber rattler Jacob Mizarowski. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is the, is this guy a real person? And maybe like, the gun's hot. He might not be real. It might be yeah. the camera angle. Like whatever. I'm not going to Appleton, Wisconsin. Like that dude's fully real. He's and real. He's got this, and he's. I mean, we'll see how high you want to push him in yeah. the top 100. But like, I'm not going to stop you until we get to like the 10 range, and yeah. then I'll be like, okay, let's. A lot, let's a lot of a lot of Twitter doctors out there also that uh that i've already relegated miserowski to a lifelong uh career of arm troubles well we read that about gavin weir yes 12 year old too you know you know the the social media and and the baseball doctors that's the number one one and i'm dealing with that with the yuri Yuri perez stuff right now makes me want to rip my hair out with all the baseball doctors out there no nothing but but really good dialogue yeah really 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 good dialogue i think everybody understands what the marlins are doing yes yeah yeah. Uh (laughs) Yeah. very very credible people too just willing to fire from the hip (laughs) um but when you have people out there willing to quote tweet a highlight of a 12 year old and Gavin Ware uh, in the uh, Little League Road Series yeah, and say TJ by 17 yeah this guy's arms cooked like you're just you, 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 we've we've gone too far Dude, to wherever I, we're at honestly and, touch grass yeah just touch some grass <laughs> um, and, and honestly the Yuri stuff in a different way touch grass and leave <laughs> me alone please alright uh, moving on to the next guy real quick, Luis Guerrero, a guy that I had literally zero knowledge of prior to this game, Red Sox prospect. He's a reliever with command issues, but he hit 100. You hit 100, I'm going to mention you. That's pretty much where we're at. High A guy. Command's kind of eh. <laughs> so if he can command the stuff, he has legit three pitches, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Carson Wisenhut, um, yes. Giants prospect. We've talked about him on the pod a little bit uh, and about how this guy is you know, really proven to be the, the, the whole situation that he had caused him to, to fall out of the first round. And I think a lot of teams are probably kicking themselves now for not taking him in the first round. I, I understand why they didn't, and you got to be careful. But if you're watching Wizen Hunt pitch right now, and every team is starved for a good left-handed pitching prospect, who, by the way, is one low effort, um, and, and that was the thing that stood out to me too, a lot of teams got to be saying, man, I should, we should have taken a flyer on Wizen Hunt. Uh, ultimately, Giants did, and, and the results look good. He's 94-96. His changeup is unbelievable. Unreal. I just talked to Kobe Mayo on the podcast, um, and we did uh, the live hitting breakdown on our YouTube. Go check that out. And we specifically broke down a Wizen Hunt at bat. You probably saw him in Richmond, right? I think so. Yeah, because he was in Bowie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we broke down a, a, a Wizen Hunt at bat, and it was a battle. And it was just really cool hearing Mayo talk about the changeup, how good it was, and how well Wizen Hunt executed the pitches in that at bat. It was the only one that wasn't a 108 home run that I picked. Yeah. It was an 80-mile-an-hour kind of fister that he fought off. And, and, and Mayo was like, yeah, dude, honestly, I was really proud of that swing because that was a phenomenal pitch. Like, he sequenced really well in that at-bat. And we talked more about that. But that's kind of what we saw here in a shorter spurt. Yeah. He's more 92-94 as a starter. Mm-hmm. Everybody is going to be up a tick or two in these short spurts. But what really impressed me is everything was up. But the command was still great. The changeup feel was still great, and he he like he bullied some dudes. I, he's a big, strong fella. I, I think I didn't you know really understand that about Wisson Hunt. Um, I was talking to uh, our analytics guy or one of our analytics guys, Colby Olson, during the game, and um, when Wisson Hunt came into the game, you know, I said I. I'm really excited to watch this guy. And Kobe was like, is he the one that got suspended? Mm-hmm. Like, or the PED thing? And I was like, this is this is loaded. I said, D- 
Dude, Celsius is a banned <clears throat> substance in the NCAA. Like, super caffeine monk fruit shit yeah. is banned in the NCAA. It like, should be. I'm, I'm convinced it's made me fatter. <laughs> Celsius? Yeah, it's like, there's, there's like the fake sugar in it. It's giving me my pouch. Whatever, man. We, um, <laughs> we, we, we swore off a downtick in the uh, Carson was in Hunt PED conversation, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're getting that. And, you know, it's always going to be something that, that is brought up until... I bet he's two or three years into his like this major guy's league career. Shoving, <laughs> like just he's shoving, just, just and look, like just. It, I almost wish we could like men in black people from yes, and wipe their memory from it, before because like just watch this guy throw. This is a a first round talent that is proving to be a first round talent. And again, I'll say it one more time, and then I'll put it to bed. Like what from what I've read, from what I've gathered, the substance that he took was something that you can get at GNC General yeah. Nutrition Center, yeah. like. Dude, come on. Yeah. This is not a PED suspension. Yeah, He's I not just, shooting horse tranquilizer. It's another one that I just see too many people talking. Like, yeah, because everybody's, everybody's either a doctor or the morality police. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, man, I mean, Wisenhunt, it was it was really fun to watch that change up in real time because, you know, we got to sit there and just like kind of enjoy it. You know, <laughs> we, we snuck down a good seat. Oh, no, yeah, we didn't pay. We didn't pay for our seats. No, <laughs> no it was no. great. But. You know, it was nice to just take that game in almost as like an elevated fan where you're watching with that working eye, but also, you know, it's when Wisenhunt busted out this changeup. I mean, there were several times that I went with like the high pitch, like, whoo, yeah. like crazy, he, the separation. Because you mentioned 94 to 96, changeup was 82 to 83. Yeah. Like, that's a massive separation. And he had younger, less polished hitters. Looking like idiots. Oh, Jonathan Class A looked was it's a double A guy, younger but yeah. double A guy. He had some bad swings there. Yep. I think he got Holiday as well. I think he got and that's the thing with this changeup is we got to see it kind of from behind home plate. It it's so nasty with the vertical drop. Mm-hmm. It's like you know a lot of the guys that have the fade. It's hard to have that that left on left success because it fades back into the the sweet spot of a left handed swing. For for Wisenhunt, it has so much drop that it works left on left. Yeah. So that's why I think this guy's going to really be good. And, and we saw the breaking ball. He, he He's still trying to find that spin. But he, he snapped a couple good ones. But it, it takes some of the pressure off of the breaking ball and the splits when you have such a good changeup that you can go left on left with it. And I think that's what we saw. I mean, Jackson Holiday is so good at being able to spoil pitches, kind of just get his hands to wherever a, a ball is. And, and he wasn't able to do that with some really good changeups. So that was really impressive for me. And then kind of staying on the, the trend of changeups, Joey Cantillo. Again, you're, you guys are going to love the conversation we had with him. He is a unsur- so smart. Surprise, surprise, Guardians prospect pitcher who is just got it between the ears. Really high makeup guy and and just such a fun conversation. We're gonna ha- eventually have him on the pod, you know, for a f- longer form conversation because that's a guy I just want to pick his brain. Um, but this was another dude that really took care of business uh, with the fastball that you know he's been mid nineties this year. He's touched ninety seven, yeah. uh, but in this short spurt was up to ninety eight. And his changeup is just diabolical. 15 mile per hour separation there. Well, he was snapping off some benders too that were really impressive. And he talked about that that was something he wants to continue to. And he has two. Yeah. So that's something that he wants to keep developing. You know, I, like, I don't want to rave about a conversation before you guys have heard it because, like, I want you guys to ta- have your own takeaways of Joey Cantillo. But when I tell you, like, we talked to him on Saturday morning. I went into his outing on Saturday afternoon, like fully rooting for the guy. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, you have it, mm-hmm. and I know your stuff is crazy because I've been watching you for now like what three years. 
Um, and you're really nice. And you're really nice. Yeah. And you're a really nice guy. Like, it's willing to, you know, like, I, I want to root for you. Cantillo's fastball at times looked borderline electric mm-hmm. in that inning sample. I think it was an inning and two-thirds. Yeah. Inning and third. We didn't get the, sh- the the shape, but I can promise you that it's great. it was jumping. <laughs> yes. It was jumping. It's jumping, and it was 97. Like, it was consistently 95 to 97. Uh that curveball looked good, but dude, that changeup, like there were there were a couple at bats in his full clean inning where it was ninety-six, then it was the Vulcan changeup, and that shit was nasty. And then if he develops those breaking balls, I mean this is a legitimate fastball's a plus pitch now is with it, that shape. Yeah. Changeup's a plus pitch. If either of those breaking balls are fifty to fifty fives, I mean, that's a complete arsenal that can make you a number two. Okay, so yes, I agree. Put together the rotation of the future. I think they move Bieber. So yeah. under the assumption that they move Shane Bieber at this deadline. And they need a lefty in that rotation. So yes, this is perfect. Do. Moving moving forward, I think if we're looking at because Cantillo just got to triple. Mm-hmm. He was he was in double for and, and, he, and he talked about the command is kind of the one thing I think that he needs to But to, we've seen him dialed no, in. No, no, I, I agree. Three it's years. just consistency. It's consistency with yeah. the command. So Gavin Williams, Bybee, um, McKenzie, yep. um, Logan Allen. Cantillo? Yeah. Yeah. That's, Who are we leaving? Are we missing any? <laughs> I mean, we're we're missing Curry. We're missing... Uh, he's been great in the bullpen. I think he's he been awesome in the bullpen. We're missing Hunter Gaddis, and Gaddis's That's fine. appeal is gone. Um, Mace, Nikhazy, no. Messick, no. Um, no, I think that's that's it. That's it. That's it. And then they got another wave of guys coming, too. So. Okay, so <laughs> I, was, I was talking to Andy Rodriguez just in the airport. Um before we flew from Indy to Seattle on Friday. And I was like, who's the toughest AB you've you've had? And he was thinking about it. He's like, it's oh, tough. He ID'd Tanner Burns, yeah. the double-A guy so for the annoying. Guardians. And I was just like, okay, there we go. Like, here's yeah. just another one. Here's another fold. one. But, no, I mean, I, I think Cantillo, um, he, was, he was part of that Mike Clevenger move mm-hmm. from San Diego to Cleveland. Uh, I think that this guy shouldn't be... Trade bait. I think no. this guy should be no. a, a piece of what the Guardians are and doing. He, in the and it seems like he's going to be, which is which is really awesome. A couple more arms, and then we'll wrap up with a few quick batted ball stuff. And and Nassim Nunez, everybody's <laughs> everybody's pick for MVP. Yeah. Um, Tink Hens up to ninety nine. You, you have in the notes curveball look crazy. It did, but also the changeup change looked, looked good. This is a guy with three. Like, it's two plus pitches, and the changeup could turn into a plus pitch. Fastball being up to ninety nine, unsurprising. We've we've seen him be like that. Yeah. Um, he's also probably the most comfortable guy out of all of these throwing in short spurts because like yes. that's what he does. Yeah. He averages like four innings to start, maybe less. I think it's like three and two thirds. Uh, but man, this kid is so good. The fastball is another one that. You know, there's 98s, 99s. I thought Cantillo's got on hitters faster than some of the 98s, 99s. I thought uh, Hentz's was probably one of the most impressive 99s. We're going to talk about Tink Hentz, Mick Abel. Tink Hentz's 99 was a lot more impressive than Mick Abel's 99, at least in, in person in this specific setting. Yeah. That's how I came away with it. Well, Tank is is cut from the Mizorowski cloth for me, where like I just needed to see if this guy was actually real. Mm-hmm. And Tank Hans is very real. And yeah. he's a smaller guy, very thin guy that gets the most out of his body, and the fastball absolutely jumps and off. I, the delivery is interesting. You could probably appreciate it from our angle. The way that he, he almost like dips he, back. He rocks. And he rocks. And the arm, like it, the way it's almost like he's throwing uphill. So, and when you have that uphill, like that shot put throwing mechanic, that oh, that's Brian Wu I was talking about. Yeah. That it's similar to that. I'd love to see his VAA. I haven't dug it up. I don't think it's as elite of a VAA, but he still has that 
Like you can't see the arm. You see the shoulder pointed upwards. And then all of a sudden it's coming back at you. And it just does look like it's shooting upwards. And and that really makes it hard for a hitter, especially when you can tunnel the the breaking ball off of that. And the changeup, he repeats the release point really well. That was the one other cool thing from where we were sitting. You could see kind of the release point. Yeah. And repeating it from the same spot, good fade. I mean, Tink Hens could be – this is another guy with, with, with ace – Upside. Can I? Yes, I agree. Can I give you a, a deep cut comp for what kind of momentum he can generate with that delivery? And like Tink Hens's floor might be this guy, but if you watched Vessia at all in the last yeah, couple yeah, of years, yeah. Alex Vessia mm-hmm. is a rock. Get the momentum back, and then you're rocking forward, mm-hmm. and you finish it with the push. Yeah, like that's what Tink Hens does. It is a very gets the most out of his body. He gets the most out of his body, and just mentioned it. Like he's six foot. He's Probably two bills soaking wet. I don't yeah. know the exact like height weight measurements, but you know he's not a big guy on the hill at all. So how do you do that? You have athleticism to supplement how you maximize your body, and he's got a rock and a late push, and it's all a momentum based delivery. And ninety nine will jump on you if you are any mo- momentum based delivery. And pretty low effort for a six foot guy up to it's 99. really low effort. Yeah. It, you have to time it. Mm-hmm. Like I could see timing getting out of whack, but mm-hmm. I mean it, it seems simple enough for him because he does seem like a really good athlete. One hundred percent. And then Mick Abel, he he got the start right. Yeah. So it was that Mick was Abel versus Owen White. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Like also Owen White just looked like the, the one. He, well, he looked yeah. like the one guy that's debuted already. Like yeah. he just was just like. Got in there, executed yeah, like, his pitches, got out. You're good. <laughs> uh, Mick Abel of the and Tim Kansas is a Cardinals guy, of course, yeah. and then Mick Abel of the Phillies. I mean, the stuff was was undeniable, but I think he threw more balls than strikes. Yeah. Um, and it was weird because he was the one guy that kind of got to go through his regular routine. You're a starter, you get to kind of like go go right in there. I, th- I thought I thought he'd show a little bit better. It was one inning. Again, we still got to see the fastball up to 99. I didn't think it was as lively as the Tim Kansas 99, but Abel's a special arm. Um, you could see flashes of that. It just in this in this instance was not his his best outing. I wonder if there's nerves there. I'm sure starting the futures game. starting the futures games is this definitely interesting. I you know like yes easier because you get to go through your routine as a starting pitcher that's starting a game might be harder because you're the one opening the futures game. Yeah. So I I don't know like, the game kind of settles in afterwards. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like I, I'm sure it becomes a little bit lower stress mm-hmm. when when everybody's locked into the first pitch of the futures game. Well, everybody that has the Peacock subscription yes. is locked into the futures game. Um, yeah, man. Like I was. I don't want to say unimpressed with Mick Abel, but... It was a high bar that we already had set for him. Yeah, it was a high bar and he didn't meet it. Yeah. So I think I was slightly underwhelmed by Abel, thinking that he was going to carve in 10 pitches and get yeah. out of the inning. But that's just not the case. Yeah, and but again, the stuff, you could see flashes of it. Just It was just a little erratic. I, I, I wish I could have saw a little bit more of the breaking ball, just because a lot of them were non-competitive. But mm-hmm. again, he still was able to kind of clock back in, battle, and... and, and I think that shows you just what he's still able to do. He could be completely off and still get outs because his stuff is so good. Yeah. Uh, wrapping up with the position players, uh, PCA, I thought, had one of the most impressive swings with that cutter in on his hands, shoots it the other way, 106, run down by Class A. Lawrence Butler, in, in terms of the the just, like, got it factor, he he was had one of the, I think, coolest, like, demeanors, and, and also just his, his fit was the coolest of, yeah. of any player. Yeah. Um, got the pit vipers on deck. Yeah, 
the A's prospect hit one one eleven and one oh eight. They were they were ground balls, but they weren't like choppers straight into the ground. They were legit one eleven to one oh eight. His his hands work so well. He is such a twitchy athlete, and we saw that. Um, Jackson Merrill, I said, would go 0 for 2 and somehow be impressive. That's exactly what he did. Yep. He just looks the part. And then we talked about Crawford. Nas was the MVP. It was very cool to see him have that opportunity because you know he was probably had the worst stat line of any player there. We've had him on the show. He's an awesome dude. Yeah. He's an electrifying player, though, and I think that's an example. You know, again, we're not going to like make sweeping conclusions of of any of these players from from this game but i think this was an example of how nas nunez does not need to be a 750 800 ops guy to make an impact in a game and i think that's why the marlins are still very high on him he's he's going to need to hit better than a 600s ops but this guy could be 720 ops and impact the game in so many different ways because he's one of the best defenders in the league in the minor leagues and he's an electrifying base dealer and he just makes pitchers work from both sides of the plate. Um, it was cool to see someone like Nas come away with the MVP when you have so many future all-stars in this game. Yeah, I think I picked Victor Scott to win the MVP. Also, was he was under- sick. with He's still second yeah. and third with ease. Yeah. He came into the game with like 52 backs. He's, just, he's amazing. Victor Scott, a Cardinals prospect. Um, Nassim Nunez with the Marlins. Like, we didn't see his best trait, and he still won the Futures game MVP. Like, we didn't see him make any plays defensively, no. and he still won the Futures game MVP. So... Shout out to Nas Nunez. I, you know, it was a well-placed ground ball down the third base line. It, it happened to be a three-run double. There we go. And it's it's always one hit that, that nets a guy an MVP. Real quick, revisiting Lawrence Butler. Uh, I, I've said it on this pod, and it still reigns true. Every time I watch this guy play baseball, I get more and more bought in. Yeah. Because he's getting better and better. He has. He, that's the number one thing, though. Like, the way he's been, been, been able to cut his K rate at a higher level, up the ex- exit velocities, just continue to look more comfortable. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, from when I saw him in the Arizona Fall League recently, like just this past year to, to now, you see a player that just gets just more and more and more comfortable. Um, this is this is a really talented dude. Last one, his org mate, Tyler Soderstrom, played first base. That's a big-ass dude. He's going to hit a lot of balls really hard for big, a long time. Big man. And he's only 21. Yep. Yeah, so he's going to get stronger. He's going to get more physical, and, and that's going to be one of the better power bats, I think, in the big leagues at some point. So... It was fun. It was really fun. And we are going to recap the draft this week. Uh, We have those interviews coming out. Definitely a loaded content schedule here. We're going to try to do a live stream from the draft, uh, or not from the draft, but from uh, Gantry Public House, where we're going to be doing a a trade night with eBay. I already had some people reaching out that they're going to bring me some Curtis Mead cards to buy, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I have my cards there that I'm going to be maybe wheeling and dealing a little bit, uh, but we're also just going to be hanging out, watching the draft, and, and, and just having some fun food drinks all that good stuff so if you're in the seattle area come hang out with us should be a lot of fun from 12 to 7 we're there all day baby so any final thoughts as we wrap up and get ready for draft day get the hell out of my room huh sounds good to me i'll go back to my room very soon as always thank you for listening we'll talk prospects with you very soon At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker. 
engineering your success.